Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 111, and in this show, we're chatting with Era Motorsports' Kyle Tilly. If you haven't met Kyle yet, I imagine you soon will because the man seems to love driving cars. Whether it's rally cars, IMSA prototypes, or even NASCAR on road circuits, he seems happy behind the wheel of just about anything. Rallying is his true passion, though, and he's going all in for 2022. So join us for a chat with Kyle Tilly at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Greetings, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and this was originally going to be episode 112 with William Petro about the U.S. Rally Sport Federation, but unfortunately, that editing went to shit, kind of literally. Um, you may have heard about the heavier rains and some of the flooding that was happening out west, and that affected our audio editor, Derek Johnson Love. He unfortunately had a pipe back up in his basement, causing sewage to flood the basement. So the time he was going to be doing the finishing of the editing ended up having to clean basement stuff, and he's still working on that. So Derek, man, I don't wish that on anybody, and I hope you get it cleaned up soon. Ugh. So anyways, with that said, this episode doesn't seem as polished. Well, that's likely because it's me that did the editing, so apologies for that. We'll have William Petro's interview completed soon. Also a note, we had to cut a few chunks out of this episode because of an announcement coming soon for Kyle Tully's 2022 ARA Rally Program. We don't have much information on what exactly is going to be changing for that. It is going to be a bit of a change, and we'll let you know as soon as we know more. So without further ado, we'll be back with Kyle Tilly right after this message. Go. Five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full F plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Well, welcome to the Rallycast podcast, uh, Kyle Tilly. Normally, I start out these podcasts with, uh, what are you drinking? Uh, but for me, out west uh, coast of, uh, of the United States here, it is early in the morning, or actually, it's just at noon. So uh, you're a long ways away from me, and the hour is much different. So I'm just having coffee. <laughs> what are you drinking? I, actually, I've just finished a coffee, so we're, uh, we're good to go. You've oh, got well, me. One of my questions was going to be coffee or tea. So, um, so you're a coffee drinker? Uh, no, well, I drink both, but uh, typically a tea drinker, but also partial to like the odd fancy coffee. Ah, I see. So, what's the fancy co- coffee for Kyle Tilly? Uh, latte, cappuccino, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do, do you get it plain, or do you do the flavoring stuff? Either or. Yeah. Uh, quite. I'll do a caramel latte, but um, of late, cappuccino seems to be the go-to. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm I'm usually a fan of just the the basic latte. Um, Yeah, I don't know why. I just I'm more of like like I'm a tea drinker as well as a coffee drinker, and I'm I'm not a huge sweets fan. Every now and then I'll get a mocha or something, but usually it's just I I don't know. Maybe it's the bitterness I like, but I'll have a black coffee. I'll have a black tea, and I usually steep it pretty strong and that's fine for me. I don't add anything to it or anything like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, see, I'm English breakfast tea, but uh, I have to have milk in my tea because, you know, very, very English. <laughs> very fitting, very fitting. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, 
we do have this under a little bit of an embargo until the 9th, and, uh, but it was January 1st where you are, so Happy New Year. It Did is. you do anything uh, special to celebrate where you're at? Uh, I was <laughs> so I was on the harbor uh, in Helsinki, where it turns out the fins in fireworks is a chaotic combination. Um, there was, I don't know, maybe 500 people. I was trying to stay away from everybody to the best I could, obviously, given current COVID times. But uh, I, I'm just really paranoid about getting sick before the Rolex 24 in January. Um, and, yeah, like, there was maybe three professional fireworks displays going off and then maybe 10 to 20 displays where people just brought their own fireworks and were setting them off in the middle of the crowd and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was a wild time. In the middle of the crowd. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and, like, the police was there and, like, this all just seems like normal Finnish behavior. So it was, it was fun. Uh, it does sound like good fun. Uh, we still have plenty of that here happening stateside, too. My cat was thoroughly uh, freaked out and underneath our bed. I'm sure that's where mine was back home. <laughs> well, I want to, you know, rewind the clock a little bit. And, you know, how did the young Kyle Tilly get involved in motor racing? Uh, sounds like maybe it was uh, in the family blood. Yeah, my dad used to race to a relatively high level back in single-seaters, open-wheel cars in the uh, 70s and 80s. And he put me in a go-kart, I think, when I was six and yeah, it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> it is a uh, an expensive and uh, exhilarating addiction, isn't it? Yes, one hundred percent. There's nothing quite like it. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly hooked on all aspects of cars and motorsport. In case it wasn't obvious. Well, you know, obviously, I went to uh, your Aero Motorsports website, which uh, you guys have yep. a great, you know, about a bit of information about uh, how that kind of got started, but. Yeah, give us an idea of what era motorsports really kind of is about, because you guys do a lot of different things. Yeah, so uh, when did we start it? So I was racing um, with TRG and Aston Martin North America in Pirelli World Challenge uh, in 2017, and that was like one of my last years at that time uh, racing professionally in sports cars. And I, I was a little jaded a little burned out with it with some of the politics and things like that and you know i was very aware that i was getting older and um i wanted to have some other way of supplementing income other than just driving race cars um i was doing more and more driver coaching work with guys in the vintage historic motorsports sector and i kind of became aware there was a lot of cars that i wasn't comfortable driving because I felt that maybe some of the preparation work wasn't quite where it should be. And I mentioned that to one of the guys I was coaching, and he basically said that, uh, well, I should set up my own preparation shop. And so I did. And then it's uh, it started with not a lot of money at all and a borrowed trailer, borrowed workshop space, and one uh, Formula 5000 car that we looked afterwards after in 27 2018 then and it's just kind of grown from there and then now obviously we run the team in imza um i'm back driving sports cars professionally again and everything else uh, yeah it's just it's kind of it's strange how it's all kind of come full circle and now i'm back driving sports cars professionally and silly things like that 
Well, one thing that uh, intrigued me is, uh, you know, most any of our listeners are, are fans of classics. And uh, you're talking about the, the historic stuff that you've uh, gotten to, to work with and whatnot. Uh, give us an idea of some of the different cars as this business has grown that you've gotten to be involved with and driven. Oh, everything from uh, vintage Formula One, so like late 70s F1 cars, uh, Group C, the kind of big 1,000-horsepower GTP cars. Wow. Uh, we have in the workshop such a, I think, last count, there's 40 cars in the workshop. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's grown just a wee bit. Yeah, and um, we have everything. So we have uh, Ken Miles, the kind of star of the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Um, we have one of his original race cars from 1958, a little Formula Junior, and then obviously everything through to, as I said, the current IMSA LMP2 car. That's that's impressive. Uh, I guess one thing I was wondering, is there anything that surprises you when driving uh, some of the older cars as, you know, especially difficult to drive or in some cases maybe easier than you thought? No, it just makes you wonder how they didn't kill more people. <laughs> Fair enough. Honestly. Yeah. And I, I, I love driving the old stuff, especially. So 2019, I did the like, four rounds of the historic F1 World Championship in Europe. And uh that was in a 1977 Ensign. So if you, there's videos of me driving the thing on YouTube and stuff. It's Spa and the Rain, which constantly do the rounds. But if you, yeah, you just kind of had to be well aware that, like, if you crashed the thing, it was probably, I don't know, maybe one of the last things you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, I don't know, for me, that's also part of the fun and part of the attraction because... I'm not sure why, but it's just, in, I don't know, that period of motorsport is kind of very enchanting. It, it, it certainly is. It certainly is. And maybe some of it's because, you know, we didn't get to experience it back then, um, or coverage of it was so slim. And then just, you know, being able to relive kind of some of that stuff is just, it's just something special for sure. So for me, the introduction I had to era motorsports was, last year's uh, Rolex 24. I, I usually watch the Rolex 24 um, as a, uh, a typical annual thing. I don't watch sports cars all that much. Um, you know, obviously my, my main following is rallying, but you guys had the coolest thing when you came out with that <laughs> livery of the crayon car with, uh, was it, the, Owen is like six years old when he came up with that? Yeah, six-year-old uh, Canadian boy. Um, he... We entered the competition to give uh, IMSA fans kind of something to do with during COVID because you know it's, it was maybe two weeks before the Sebring 12-hour that our season got cancelled last year or postponed. And, uh, yeah, we came up with the idea of doing the livery competition, um, which we were initially going to use at Petit Le Mans in 2020. Uh, unfortunately, Dwight broke his back at Le Mans um, so we didn't end up using, or we didn't end up doing Petit. So it got rolled over to do it in, in Daytona. Um, so we debuted the car at Daytona, and uh, just the, I think no nobody really expected the amount of uh, outreach and support the livery got. But uh, yeah, it was it was a super fun project. And trying to do the same right now with a rally car for um, 
for Snowdrift, actually, the livery contest. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I was going to touch on that as well. But in general, that's got to be one of the greatest fan interaction stories I've heard of all time. I mean, when it comes to motorsports, I, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. And then to top it all off, you guys got to go home with some watches at the end of that. Yeah, we won the race, so that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I was always adamant that I was never going to buy a Rolex. Uh, I had to win one. So uh, that was uh, it's still kind of surreal, that whole story. Um, you know, it kind of, we took the lead around, I think I was in the car, it was around the 19 hours into the race. Um, we got I got out of the car and we had like a 30-second lead and we just kind of held it to the end and... It was a little touch and go with uh, maybe an hour to go because, uh, you know, the guys in second, they threw a bit of a, a Hail Mary at the strategy um, with a fuel window, which it, if they'd have got a safety car, it would have paid off. But thankfully, there wasn't one. Um, but other than that, it was uh, from that point on, it was relatively plain sailing. Uh, you know, that's it, it is such a gamble uh, with the with the endurance racing. It, it really does seem to go on the yellows quite a bit where you just happen to be. But I, I love how it's just, it, it's just so flat out now. You know, you don't manage the car. Every, every lap's like a qualifying lap, it seems. I mean, you, you just really have to be on it. And uh, it, yep. it's just fantastic to watch. You're flat out for the whole 24-hour race. I mean, back in the day, you used to have to manage the car and things like that. But uh, no, we're, uh, we're flat out for the whole 24 hours. So, you know, rallying's also an endurance sport. Um, well, a little more sprinty nowadays than uh, maybe it used to be back in the day. But <laughs> when was it that you found rallying then? Uh, so I've always been a massive, massive rally fan. Um, and initially, it was rallying that I wanted to do. But my all my opportunities were circuit race-based. Um, so I went road racing instead. Uh, but yeah, I've, for as long as I can remember, I've always been a massive, massive rally fan and just a big Colin McRae fan, actually. So. When did, what was the first rally you attended? Wales Rally GB, 1995. I was six years old. That was Colin's win? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Do you remember where you were? Yeah, I, I can picture it exactly where I was. I'm trying to remember that it was it. Uh, it was one of the stages in England. Um, I can't remember what the name of the place was. That's going to keep me awake at night now. <laughs> yeah, I can picture the corner. It was like a big long straight, uh, broken up with a hay bale chicane, and then down into like a square right. But uh, I'm gonna have to text my dad. He'll he'll know. <laughs> oh, that's that's just awesome, man. That uh, I, I wish I knew more about rallying back in those days. Um, I I just thought it well. Obviously, it was going on in Europe and whatnot. I just thought, yeah, that's that thing that happens, you know, elsewhere. Not something that gets coverage much in the U.S. And so I didn't really follow it back then. I didn't find rallying until 2010, 2009, somewhere in there. So okay. I'm, I'm kind of new to it in, in some respects. See, so I, I'm, I know for me, I love the kind of I love the Group B era, but the Group Four era was like the Mark II Escorts is my that's my. That's my kind of like golden era. Yeah, the, before I was born, but still. Yeah, sure, but you know the cars were more silly sideways. You didn't have hydraulic e-brakes. They're all doing uh, you know the Scandinavian flicks into corners, right? 
Yeah. It, it, it was definitely a lot more about uh, the driver finesse back then, for sure. And, uh, man, and they just sounded good. <laughs> that right. kind of exactly. got along with it. It's tough to be uh, Cosworth BDG on, like, full noise, like 9,000 RPM. Ah, brilliant stuff. So what was the first rally you did then? Ojibwe this year. Well, actually last year now, but Ojibwe. So it took you that long for you to be able to do your very first rally. And if I remember correctly, that was in, what was Travis Neese's Evo 8? Yeah, that's the one. What was that experience like? It sucked, honestly. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to think, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a person that, you know, your entire career up to this point is about not sliding a car, right? That's usually, you know, you're conserving tires, you're doing all these different things. And now that's part of getting the fastest line is intentionally, you know, moving the car around and the, uh, the weight transfer is just so much bigger than you'd have in yeah. uh, any of the other cars you drove. Yeah. The, the Evo was tough to make it do what I wanted to do. Um, it's since been, uh, completely, and I mean like completely rebuilt new dampers, engine, gearbox, subframe, suspension arms, like electronics, Absolutely everything is brand new on the car now for uh, for 2022. And actually, I think my engineer at IMSA, Tim, is going to use it for ARA. Well, certainly he's going to be a snowdrift with it. But yeah, I, I couldn't really make it do what I wanted it to do. And some of it was, you know, a lack of experience on my part. And some of it was, uh, you know, just not the car not doing what I needed it to do. So... It was fun. We finished, I don't know, twentieth, and we're like fourth in our class, so it wasn't bad. But uh, I didn't particularly enjoy it, and I kind of left the event a bit underwhelmed, um, mostly because I'm overly competitive. It, and you, then, you sounded uh, very much so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you want you want the car to be perfect, so it's down to just you, right? Yeah, pretty much. And then we blew the thing up on the dyno. Uh, the night before we left for LSPR. And this is kind of like the turning point in my, my rallying. Um, wow. <laughs> blew it up on the dyno, and uh, we. I ended up, I was running out, but I wanted to do the event because limited time off from my NASCAR and sports car commitments. Um, so much of it had gone into... Well, so much had gone into LSPR and getting everything there and us being ready um, that I wanted to do the event. So I called Don Buckley, and this is maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. We hadn't slept on Monday morning. And I explained the situation to him. He said, yeah, no bother. And uh, we showed up Wednesday, and there was a actually John Coyne's uh, the car. car. He, yeah. The Rap 2 car was there. We did the shakedown, and as soon as we did one pass of like the mile and a half shakedown stage, I was like, "All right, cool. Yeah, this does exactly what I want it to do. This is going to be a good time." But it also ruined me because now I don't want to drive the Evo and just want to drive the R5. I was just going to say the you know the you're talking about you know something that's a garage built you know car versus a factory race car, right? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, the best. Way- <laughs> the r5 it's like the lmp2 version of the rally car so um yeah it's factory built does exactly what it 
kind of says on the tin and yeah it completely ruined me because like i did one stage and i was like yeah no i don't want to drive the evo anymore i just want to drive this so so now you got the car that you know feels better what's it like uh having to learn pace notes then uh that's i've been very fortunate enough to work with you know a ton of talented co-drivers the gelsominos martin brady um and now i'm very comfortable writing my own notes but initially it was a challenge and lspr was a challenge because tim my co-driver as i said also my engineer in imza his first rally was a jibway along with me and then his second rally was lspr along with me when we were in the r5 so for him to adapt to uh calling the notes in something that fast i think he did a great job i know i guess putting the trust in the notes was the, the big thing for me um and realizing what a difference all of the fine tuning little details that uh that you add can make um that's kind of been the big the big takeaway for me is just learning what details to put in and what what to uh what to add i guess it's about uh what triggers the brain to uh to to visually see what's coming ahead that you can't see with your eyes yet yep yeah. pretty much it's uh especially at night but i think you know skipping forward a little bit we've just done recently did alex and i won big white and it was our pace notes that won us that rally because it was 10 o'clock at night it was a snowstorm and we turned the light pod off because it was just reflecting back into the car and just did it off of the regular headlights and we couldn't see a thing uh so we just did the stage off of the notes and we won ended up winning the stage by like a massive amount and that's what set us up to win the rally you know some people prefer the night stages because they can't get distracted by seeing what's in front of them they have to focus on the notes and sometimes that just makes them that much better i love the night stages. i'm not sure it's for that reason i just love the challenge the night stages are a ton of fun i really enjoy them but uh i'm not sure it's because it makes me focus more but it's I don't know. It's just cool because, as I said, I remember like, being stood in the woods watching rally cars at night thinking how cool it was with the exhaust glowing, brake disc glowing. And, yeah. So, I don't know. I, for me, night rallying is, uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's one of the most fun things I've done. I think we definitely need more night stages for sure. I think it's, it, it's just a glorious thing, especially out in the snow. Uh, there's something about that, the way sound is when, after it snowed out, right? It kind of everything's like super quiet, right? The extra yeah. quiet in the snow. And then the car comes and it's just like on top of you and just shatters the silence, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it's something just visceral that you feel as those cars go by. And then, uh, yeah, especially the reflections and stuff you get off the white snow as they uh, disappear into the night. Oh, it, it's something cool. Yes. Agreed. It was, Big White was the hardest thing I've ever done in a race car period. Really? Yeah. It was... So we were the only car not to take studs because I wanted the practice for snow drift. Right, right. So everyone else was on studs. We were on snow tires and just hard. <laughs> just trying not to have an accident. It was like two days of trying not to have a big accident. Is it a lot of just trying to learn the patience of just, you know, you, you just can't go flat out from the go, right? Because you just don't have the grip there. 
Right. But at the same time, obviously, we needed to be pushing because we were trying to conserve our lead. So it was, it was, yeah, it was hard. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. And now I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to go next year. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, another one that uh, I, I remember seeing uh, pop up on the socials was you got to drive a Metro 6 R4? So that's actually my personal car. Is it? Yeah, I wow. sold everything, including my soul, to buy that thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, again, like childhood memory, memory was being at the Whiting Forest Rally in Wales, probably 2000. I just learned to drive. So I was 17. I'll do some math here. Uh, all right, so mid mid two thousands, and um, right, there was three six R fours entered, and it was the first time I'd seen one or heard one um, in person. And ever since then, I was kind of a little obsessed with it—the noise and just how insane they look. So, uh, yeah, it's always been on the radar, and the opportunity came up to buy C eighty four RBD, which is the ex Jimmy McRae Pro Drive car. Wow. which was originally in Rothman's colors. It's kind of as mental as you think it might be. Uh, to me, it's just one of those things that I look at that car and I think it's got to be like a Tasmanian devil because you got all this power crammed into this tiny chassis. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to bring it out in ARA, but ARA are not so keen on the idea. So I'm going to take it and play in the the U.S. Rally Federation or whatever they're calling it uh, on some of their events instead. Well, definitely uh, neat to see just a place that cars like that can compete. Yeah, I can see it's hard to, you know, as far as an organization, you know, I can see trying to keep equal competition when you got something like that coming in. It's difficult. You don't have like yeah. a BOP kind of thing and stuff. So I kind of get that. But at the same time, man, it's fun to see. Right, and you know, I, I'd run it as a zero car, even just to uh, an exhibition. Yeah, I don't know it's uh, it's one of those cars which is just stupid. Like it's just it's a strange little thing to drive because it's such a short wheelbase. You can slide it, but only up to a point, and then all of a sudden it you're backwards. Wow, <laughs> oh, it does sound like it'd just be really squirrely. How is it on uh, gravel versus tarmac? Uh, you know, as far as playing around with it. Yeah, I've not driven it on gravel, uh, just tarmac for uh, for that reason. I'll, on gravel, it must just be kind of mental. So it's the thing weighs uh, my car weighs nineteen fifty, so nineteen hundred and fifty pounds. It's making five hundred and fifty horse at ten thousand RPM. <laughs> That's that's and, ridiculous and yet awesome. Yeah, exactly. So it's got uh, the engine is on its way out of it just to be checked over. And that's the downside to running it. It's a thousand mile engine. Yeah, you got to rebuild it on a regular basis, don't you? Yeah. So um, that's why I'm you know not so keen to uh, to bring it out too often. But I'll bring it out every now and then at a couple of events, as I said, just to showcase it and just to show it off because it's. It's one of those cars which uh, it kind of evokes so many like feelings, memories, and like, everybody that sees it just nerds out on it. Which is, you know, I do the same. So I see it in the workshop and like still giggle about it like a little kid. So by comparison, 
what's the uh, LMP2 car uh, spec wise as far as weight and power? Uh, good question. So it's they were 650 horse. We got they were dumbed down to 570 mm-hmm. for last year. Uh, that's staying the same in US, but Europe, Europe has dumbed them down even further to like 540 because the the hypercar ACO's right. new base is too slow, basically. Um, and then the car weighs. Actually, I'm not sure what it weighs. Uh, I imagine the car is still around. I think it's around 1,900 pounds. Also, that's what I was thinking. It's like th- these two aren't that far off yet. One's in this little tiny wheelbase, you know, <laughs> thing that can go on or off road. I just had to Google it. It's 2,050 pounds, is what it says. So not not dissimilar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's fascinating. That just uh, yeah, those things just aren't too far off, and um, yet yeah, one's done with all the aero and whatnot for uh, circuit racing yep. and all that stuff. So. Uh, the uh, I think the six R four would smoke it up to uh, to sixty miles an hour, and then the, then the Oracle would take over. My six R four in particular is only it's geared to one hundred and ten, uh, and then after that you sat on the rev limiter. Yeah, that that sounds about right for most rally cars. They just it, th- there isn't much more to get out of them usually on on stage rallies. Although we have some uh, pretty fast ones. Uh, I know our roads out here at Oregon Trail. You can be on that rev limiter. Void loop, like that stage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that was that's my favorite rally stage of my current rallying career. It was the stage. Uh, so Martin and I, we were pretty happy with that stage because you know the R5 gives up a fair bit to uh, the Vermont sports car Subarus, but at the end of that stage, I think we were only like twelve seconds off of the stage win. So. Um, on a stage which theoretically we should have lost more time due to not having enough horsepower. But, uh, yeah, that stage is stupid, like, but in a good way. Just fast. <laughs> it, it's stupid fast. Um, I love the twisty bits just past the jump, uh, right in front of kind of yep. that spectator area, and then it just gets flat out again with a couple of 90s. And, uh, yeah, you just uh, got to get that uh, timing on the braking zones just right. And, uh, yeah, but it's just car kind of floats a little bit once you get up that uh, rev limiter speed but yeah for sure i couldn't believe how much time we spent on the rev limiter also like just felt like forever uh, i'm glad you enjoy that i think some people don't uh ara specifically they're the ones who keep making us shorten that stage because they don't like that average speed but uh, see i love it's... i love the high speed stuff because to me that's more normal like for example le mans there's like five points on the lap where you're over 208 mile an hour so for me like being flat out on the rev limiter and you know having to balance the car at full throttle that's to me that's what seems normal it's the tight twisty stuff i'm probably pretty sure i suck at but um the the wide open fast stuff is yeah bring that on what's the fastest you've been uh 212 i believe as fast as i've been (laughs) that's just that's just mind-blowing for for someone that myself i don't think i've been probably over 110 myself but geez and we can fix that <laughs> well i I'm, I'm game uh yeah, I, I love going for rides and things at high speed um so you know j- just talk a little bit more about rallying um the 2022 plan if uh we can kind of announce that the idea is is that you plan on doing the entire ara uh championship then uh i can't do 100 acre wood okay conflict gotcha flashes with the sebring 12 hour and um 
yeah, you know, the the sports car stuff is that's where I get paid, so I can't uh, I can't pass that up to go rallying. Uh, the entire ARA championship. Now, um, also, you have where you're at right now. So you are in Finland. Uh, you mentioned uh, being in Helsinki there for uh, for the new year. I'm guessing, looking at EWRC results here, you're entered into the Lapland Arctic Arctic Rally. I am. I'm here with uh, Hyundai Finland. We were approached with a pretty solid deal, and. Uh, yeah, here we are. I'm excited to get on with it. And actually, I'm looking forward to comparing uh, what the Ford is like compared to the Hyundai. Um, I've also driven the Citroen DS3 R5, so it'll be nice to compare them all. Well, we'll, we'll be excited to see you in that. And then what's the rest of the uh, Era Motorsports uh, calendar for 2022 then? Because uh, obviously you're going to be doing your uh, IMSA program and uh, and, and you kind of mentioned it, and I didn't really touch on it. Uh, you've done some NASCAR stuff as well. Yeah, so um, I did it, the road courses in NASCAR Cup this year, uh, which was a ton of fun. We were in the 78 Ford Performance Mustang uh, with Team Live Fast, which is one of the kind of offshoot subsidiary teams of Stuart Haas. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, it was with a view of getting some road course time before the next gen car comes out this year. So, uh, yeah, we're still, there's a lot still going on on that side of, uh, it. nothing confirmed there NASCAR wise yet, but all still work in progress. I love how they're, uh, doing more of these, uh, street circuits or road circuits. Um, I, I think those cars are fantastic in, in that venue, uh, versus, just the constant ovals. That's one thing. I, my favorite motorsports outside of rallying has always been IndyCar because of the diversity in the tracks. You got the street, the road, you know, the circuits, and then you've got the the ovals as well. And NASCAR kind of moving that direction to me, I think, has just been awesome. It's cool. It's they're hard work on a road course, honestly. <laughs> so everything is done to like Formula One level of preparation and uh, boundaries pushed but they're working within the confines of like 1950s truck arm suspension. So it's uh, it's like 1950s truck arm suspension given to a Formula 1 team to improve and make better. Yeah, it's amazing the constraints that they're having to work under to get all that performance out of those cars and and the exact opposite when you look at your like LMP2 program <laughs> from a technology right. standpoint. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. And you know, the amount of time, I don't think people realize the amount of time people spend in the wind tunnel and on the dyno and things like that. Like the cars are in the, the tunnel almost every week, uh, being tweaked and rubbed on and, wow. you know, little things done here and there to uh, not even make necessarily to make your car better, but to make the car behind worse in dirty air and things like that. So it's, uh, it's all a big game of chess. The differences are so minute, you know, when literally there's a stencil that goes over the car, right? So there's yep. so little that, that, that they can maneuver within. And I, I can see them trying to find every little tiny advantage possible. Then you've got, of course, uh, your IMSA program. And so what's yep. that schedule like for 2022 for you and for the team? So I stepped back from the full-time role uh, to just do the big four endurance races. Um, so I'll skip the three sprint races, uh, and that'll be Ryan D.L. and Dwight Merriman 
in the car for the sprint races. Um, I'll still be there doing team owner, team manager things. And then, as I said, I'll be in the car for Daytona, Sebring, Watkins Glen, and Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to be, to be doing those four. But uh, some of the business stuff uh, needed to be taken care of and it frees up time that I can come and play with rally cars. Because so, I, th- I think this year was, well, sorry, I keep calling it this year, 2021, I ended up, I did too much. I did full season European Le Mans series. Uh, we did the IMSA full season, Euro- Asian Le Mans series full season. Jeez. I did four races in NASCAR Cup two in NASCAR Xfinity and then the four or five rallies I've done. Were you ever home at all? No. <laughs> so what does that work out? That's this uh, eight eight seven uh hang on, I'm just doing the math. I think that's like close to thirty eight race weekends. That's that's mind boggling. I yeah, I, I can see why you'd want to cut that down a little bit. I Oof, just just trying to get out to the all the rally events in a year, but I, you know, of course, I got a day job. My racing isn't my day job, but still, it's exhausting. Uh, <laughs> all the travel with the intensity of being at an event. The international travel was the killer, honestly. But um, you know, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to 2022 and what 2022 brings, especially with the IMSA program. Obviously, going back to Daytona uh, as defending champions or defending race winners, uh, that's going to be. That's going to be fun. The level of competition this year especially is incredibly stout. So it's going to be hard to repeat, but uh, I know if it was easy, everyone would do it. Do you like it when it rains? Oh, I love it. I'll take every race in the rain. That's awesome. I, that, it always gets a lot more exciting. Uh, my favorite is the transitions, right? When to, when yep. to switch to the rains and the wet tires and, and then when to come off them and to see the, the different teams uh adapt that i think is the most exciting part of endurance racing is even when you see that happen yeah and like even so my first nascar race was kota circuit of the americas in austin and it poured with rain all week so my first ever laps in the cut car uh were in the torrential rain and we did like three laps of practice one lap of qualifying and then raced that's intense especially in that big beast yeah, um, just learning what you could and couldn't get away with. And the spray was like nothing I've ever seen before. You couldn't see on the back straight. We're all doing like 180, 185 mile an hour. And you couldn't see the front of the hood at the windscreen. Wow. And that was like three massive accidents where we all did the same thing and aquaplaned into each other. You couldn't be the one to lift because if you're the one that lifts, then you get hit from behind and then it just triggers an accident. And so you're all just there wide open, like trying to pick a break reference. Um, that was insane. Uh, I did want to ask you, though, uh, with the stuff with the, you know, sports cars, we got the new LMDH rules coming out soon. And uh, the again, you got the hypercar thing over on WEC side. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You, you like this moving towards where you got all these different powertrains and them trying to balance it all out with BOP? Um, I think hypercar is stupid and it's never going to work. Uh, however, I think IMSA, what they have with DPI, 
and ACO with LMDH, I think is brilliant. So I think Hypercar is going to struggle because it already isn't fast enough compared to the LMP2. And they're going up against essentially the IMSA DPI cars, which are even faster than LMP2. And then they're going to have to try and BOP those to match the hypercar. It's just not going to work unless they can find a way to make the hypercar significantly faster. But if you look at the rule set, like it was always going to happen in our engineer. Uh, well, a couple of our engineers, particularly, they all we all predicted it before it, before it even showed up. Uh, that it was going to struggle to match the LMP2 on pace, let alone the DPI. So I think that's going to be an interesting one. But certainly at IMSA, the direction they're moving with LMDH and uh, DPI um, is going to be—it's going to be a good thing. The manufacturer involvement for the sport is never a bad thing. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about that. You got what Penske with Porsche now, and I just yeah. I, all kinds of them. Yeah, and it looks like the, the manufacturers are excited. I'm. Always a little concerned about BOP, but the data that they have now for it is so good from the telemetry standpoint. There's no hiding at all. So, like even so, with our car, like if we were if we did something different outside the rule set, uh, they would be able to tell straight away just off of the uh, telemetry and data from the car. Yeah, no sandbagging. You, you, they can tell. <laughs> yeah, they can tell. So. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Well, a little bird told me to ask you about uh, interesting car builds, maybe on the uh, personal side. Uh, what have we got? Um, nothing crazy, actually. So I have have a couple of cars, which you know, for me, uh, kind of cool stuff. Like nothing stupid. Like I have a E30 M3, which is like a tarmac rally track day spec which i uh trying to find time i rally to bring that out to because that'll be fun they and sound then, great too yeah <laughs> i have three mark ii escorts one of which is actually at the paint shop right now so that's got a 400 horsepower cosworth turbo engine that's just a street car i have a modern full modern spec uh mark ii being built up for time rally which is that's always been like my bucket list dream car. And uh, I have a full group for historic spec Mark II, which I'm going to do the British Historic Championship in this year. Awesome. And uh, I'm guessing, I know it's every other year, but uh, is that uh, the Roger Albert Clark? You going to try and get into that one? Yes. So I was over there for that this year uh, just as a spectator. Um, and that's actually where I did the deal to buy my, uh, historic spec Mark II was at that event. Ah, that, that definitely explains it. That historic rallying is so cool. And, you know, we got a few historics that we, uh, uh, American historics that we have, you know, um, uh, with Mike Hurst and, uh, Tim O'Neill bringing out their old cars and, you know, you see a, a few older th- bits out here, but nothing like what you see out, uh, over there in Europe. I wish there was a historic class. I know it would kind of limit. Um, I know there would be limited entries and things right now, but at the same time, it would give the older cars like a place to run where they could be competitive in their own class. I, th- I think it would be really cool. Um, you know, I know the USRF is uh, trying to add that as a uh, um, 
I guess kind of a subclass in with their two wheel drive, uh, which is kind yep. of interesting. And uh, I know we they were trying to come up with something. Um, maybe it was more like event by event um, for uh, some of the national championship events. And I don't think it really got off the ground because just yeah, the entries just weren't there. But you know, you got uh, Garth Ankeny over here who's got his little uh, starlet. 81 Toyota yep. Starlet. You've got some of the sobs that you'll see at events. You'll have what the the 280 280Z that's out and around. I mean, you've they're they're around. Volvo's galore. Uh, yeah. So it might be able to be done. Yeah. It's crazy how you know, like historic rallying in Europe is one of the biggest kind of facets of rallying. So you look at the the RAC rally for example. I think there was 180 cars entered, Jeez. and like. A solid 100 of those were Mark II Escorts. Whereas in the States, like, obviously, you know, rallying is not as big in the States, period. But, um, yeah, just surprised they don't have some of the older stuff. I, I think as time goes on, though, we might see enough of it that uh, maybe maybe that is a, a class we can have. Because the popularity of rallying in the States definitely is on the upswing, you know. Um, yeah. We have folks like you finding it and, and, and enjoying it out here. We have folks in Europe starting to make the trek over and uh, dabble in it a bit. Uh, maybe get some of your NASCAR friends to say, hey, come over here, look at this sport. <laughs> Actually, so the amount of guys I know that I race with, particularly in the sports car world, that all want to come and do some rallying. Oh, so really? Yeah. So we're uh, we're actually going to have uh, an R5 available uh, as a rental. So I'm hoping to convince some of those guys that uh, they can come play. That would be brilliant. Um, you know, we used to call rallying in the states. You know, the the, the greatest form of motorsport that nobody's ever seen. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's unfortunate, you know. Um, you know, we we try and do what we can to you know show off our sport, but it, it is just a tough one to both watch, right? Because uh, you have to go hiking out in the woods. But I think that's also what makes it special. It's just it's a part of the fun. Yeah. Well, uh, to kind of round things out, uh, thanks for taking so much time, by the way. Uh, it's just fun just to chat about all these things. But uh, a little bit of fun of games here. Uh, you already told me about your, what your favorite uh, stage was uh, at an event. Uh, do you have a favorite track that you've raced at as far as uh, the road cars? All right, so two-part answer. Uh, favorite track in the world is Spa uh, in Belgium. And favorite track in the U.S., is probably Road America. Uh, man after my own heart. Yeah, I love that place. Yeah. Actually, so that's one of my bucket list things this year. Uh, nobody has beaten the Formula 5000 lap record from 1976, I believe, which is Brian Redman at uh, two minute one and change. So uh, we're trying to trying to build a car that will come up with a sub two minute lap all period correct but um yeah we're trying to trying to build a i've got a 1974 mccray gm1 formula 5000 with a small block chevy in the back so it for those that don't know formula 5000 was a rival series to formula one in the 70s um and they had mostly like a small block chevy in the back of them, there was a couple of Ford-powered cars and a couple of Dodge-powered cars, but for all the, all the quick cars were all Chevy-powered. About 1,100 pounds and somewhere around 600 horsepower. So uh, <laughs> it's it's a bit of a death trap, but you know that's only if you crash it. <laughs> right, only if you crash it. 
So we're uh, we're rebuilding this one right now just to uh, make sure it's safe, and then we'll we'll go and have a stab at the lap record. Which car has your favorite sound? Ah, uh, um, Mark II Escort, historic spec with a Cosworth BDG. That's the rally car, but if I had to pick a road race car, um, it would be anything Cosworth DFV powered. So 70s, early 80s F1, or some of the sports car stuff that ran the DFV. It's something about those higher RPMs that just, they just sound great, don't they? Yeah, tough to beat it. Yeah. Is there anything uh, on your bucket list that you haven't had an opportunity to that you're like, you know, out there a little ways that you're like, ah, oh, man, someday I'd like to do that. You know, Dakar's coming up. Uh, some of your IMSA pals do uh, Baja 1000. Um, Dakar would be cool. There's some opportunities I have there with Orica, who are building a Dakar car for 2023. Um, but honestly, most pretty much all the rally stuff I do is like, some of my bucket list events on bucket list things to do because it's uh it's different it's what i've kind of always been very passionate about so um yeah just most of the rally stuff i'd love to do the monte carlo historic rally yes i got to talk to uh john buffham after he went yep. uh to his uh, 50th anniversary of his uh fourth place finish i think there um from back in 1970 or 69 or something like that and yeah uh, yeah it was uh it was fantastic to to hear how that ran yeah as i said you know that the roger albert clark um in terms of modern racing the one i've always wanted to do is the indy 500 um we've come close to uh close to doing it a couple of times but it's always just fallen short on budget it's such a obnoxiously expensive race to do um or to find the funding or sponsorship for that, uh, yeah. We've We're just finding an engine, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They have those engine leases, and they've just got only so many available, and uh, boy, they just get gobbled up quick. Yes, I think there's 22 engines available from Honda, and getting a Chevy is basically impossible, so if you're not one of those 22 from Honda, you're struggling. One thing that uh, I usually like to ask guys that have been doing uh racing and rallying for a while is got any fun rental car stories you can share with us? Cause it's always got to be at least one more than one. <laughs> Go for it. Um, all right. So this, this was a Jibwe last year. My very first rally, we crashed the rental car in recce. So it was a Dodge Durango, uh, RT with the big V8 and on summer tires, and there was a particular corner which uh, was like a slippery two right, and we turned in. And you know, I said to Preston at the time, I was like, "You can see the video. We weren't speeding. Actually, I'd rather we'd have been speeding because at least it would have made like the story more interesting." But we were doing like twenty-five mile an hour, and the thing applied the brakes mid-corner. It locked up the outside front, and we just slid straight into a tree. That was yeah, my first ever rally. And uh, my first recce, and uh, yeah, that was that. So we got like halfway through our recce, and uh, yeah, that one wasn't so great. But uh, we pulled it out. Uh, we filled the radiator full of eggs to fit, like stop that from leaking. Uh, I think Tony and Matt, the crew guys, uh, wrapped a glove around the radiator hose that was split. They then drove it back 
to uh, our hotel, got stopped by the police because it was like the front end was destroyed. Uh, talked our way out of that one, and then we left it in the hotel parking lot for the uh, for the entire weekend. Called Avis at the end of the weekend and said that you know we'd slid off the road and could they come and get it? And uh, they came and got it and haven't heard anything since. Wow. <laughs> well, I must say one of my. Uh... A uh, couple of my experiences with rental cars was definitely at Ojibwe with uh, when I used to work with Matt Kalish. And <laughs> one of the times was when it was wet and slippery, we were in a, uh, oh gosh, one of the super cross tracks. And we tried to disable, we were trying to get out to uh, the the causeway, you know, in between the, the lakes and yeah. to, to do some uh, video stuff from there. And the darn thing, you try to disable the, uh, the traction control stuff and it would only disable partially and yep. it kept understeering on us when we're because we're because double zero was about to start and we had to get out there and we're like come on we got to go we got to go and every corner it just was you know doing that differential braking stuff and making us understeer around corners and it, uh we thought we were going to go into a tree a couple of times just because of the safety features and air quotes <laughs> yeah i honestly there's been especially in when i was younger uh, racing sports cars somewhere across the world. There's been so many wrecked rental car stories that, uh, but that's that's the most current one, at least. One of the podcasts I listen to is kind of a news podcast, but uh, they they do this great uh, series of questions they ask uh, all the all their guests, and and I kind of stole this one from them. Give me your in, in any particular order you like. Favorite book, favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies. Favorite music, artist, or genre when you're transiting between stages on recce or between stints at an endurance race? All right. Uh, favorite book? Hmm. There's a novel called The Long and Deadly Season, which is all about sports car racing, um, which is really good. But other than that, I like reading kind of autobiographies. I actually collect old racing books. I have more in my collection than I can remember. But... Um, yeah, anything old race car related, uh, Group B rally stuff. Uh, I'm I'm all about that. Uh, I've actually I've only just got it, which is a bit disappointing. But I've just got the Colin McRae uh, autobiography type book, uh, so I've got to read that. Who one from McLean? Yeah. So um, I've got that, but I have to admit I haven't read it yet. So yeah, that's the thing. I haven't re- I haven't had time to read it yet. Yeah. Favorite music? Anything with a guitar in it. So I play guitar in my spare time. So anything, I don't know, classic rock to like punk rock kind of upbeat stuff to keep me awake, usually on transit. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. That's kind of music-wise, as long as it's got guitar in it, I'm pretty happy. Actually, hang on. Let me look at my current playlist. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Dropkick Murphys. Oh, there you go. That's- yeah, <laughs> that'll definitely that's get been you moving. The most recent, yeah. So that's been the most recent. And what about uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie, or one of your favorites, anyway. So I'm a sucker for Days of Thunder and Top Gun. Uh, very excited for the new Top Gun movie to come out. You and me both. Yeah, but maybe uh, Roadhouse, like the '80s Patrick Swayze film. Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah, so that one. Well, that, I, I like that. I, li- I like what you're what you're interested in there. You like stuff that's got a little bit of camp to it, some good action, and uh, and a happy ending. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> well, Kyle Tilly, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show. Uh, 
of note for folks listening, you can actually get a diecast diecast model of your 2021 uh, crayon car livery off of your guys' website, which is aeromotorsports.com. I thought that was pretty cool that you made that available. And uh, don't forget that there is the livery competition that is for the uh, Snowdrift Rally. Where, where do they go to get the, I guess I'm guessing you're downloading something to, you know, yeah, color so in? Yeah, it's, uh, it's aeromotorsport.com forward slash contest. Okay. So make sure you go to that contest page, you download it, color it, and uh, then send it off to you guys, right? Yep. All of the entries are being judged on 1st of February. Okay, so make sure you all get those in by the 1st of February. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. It's been a ton of fun. Anytime, just uh, just to talk rallying. New, old, uh, I, th- I think what I really enjoy about uh, having you on is your obvious passion for all forms of racing. You get behind the wheel of just about anything. Uh, and I, I, everybody says how much they just enjoy being around you because that passion is infectious and that's what got me into the sport you know one thing that i I really liked when i first got introduced to rallying was the camaraderie among competitors how everybody just draws you in and they just all love the racing so much it's not so much about being sneaky about you know stuff between teams and stuff it's it's all about going flat (laughs) out on the stage and having fun i started rallying because i i'm used to the sports car world where we don't share anything um, as soon as the body works off, like there's covers put on the dampers so that people can't see what springs we're running or what settings we're running. Whereas in rallying, everybody seems happy to help each other and happy to talk. So it's, uh, it's been refreshing, but initially I was slightly confused by how nice everybody was to me. It, it took a little bit of getting used to, huh? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, there's stories of, you know, competitors in the same class helping out each other and, they want to win on the stages. They don't want to win because somebody was missing a part in service. Yep. No, I, uh, I've, I've experienced that firsthand with uh, help I've got from Don Buckley and McKenna with uh, when we were running my own R5 at Oregon. So, uh, yeah, I, I said I appreciate, appreciate the fact that everybody wants to win on the stages, not in the service part. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you at some of the uh, events and uh, wish Aero Motorsports team the best of luck in 2022. Good luck um, out there in the uh, frozen stretches of Finland. Uh, gosh, it's getting kind of late there because we've been talking so long. But man, <laughs> it, it's been it's been fun to chat. Uh, and I also want to sp- make a big shout out to uh, Derek Johnson Love. He's the uh, one that does the audio magic for uh, getting these podcasts put together. And again, thank you to our supporters, Melee Design Firm and Oz Rally Pro. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening. And please don't speed on Recky. <laughs>